welcome to Keen Observations on the Detroit Lions. My name is Anthony Keen, and I'll be your host. Joining me here in episode two of Keen Observations on the Detroit Lions, uh, I'm Anthony Keen, and a lot has happened over the last couple of weeks, so I just want to jump right in, and probably the best spot to start is with the coaching staff and new front office. Uh, it, it seems like it took forever. Whenever you fire you know, your coach and GM in the middle of the season, it takes a while to get any resolution on on that opening because obviously on the surface, nothing seems to be happening during the season because they're not allowed to interview anybody that's still employed. Uh, then, you know, the regular season ends, some candidates become available, but then you're also at the mercy of what teams are still in the playoffs. So what seemed to take forever uh, had a very rapid resolution as Brad Holmes was introduced. A couple days after that, Dan Campbell was introduced. Then uh, the word you know, word of their staff starting to fill out, started trickling through. So it it was a, a very long and thorough search. I think, um, you know, anybody that listened to the first episode, I went on and on about how uh, how I would run that, that, you know, that search and the types of candidates that I would look at. And really, the Lions knocked this out of the park, in my opinion. Uh, I think it has to be said that if this doesn't work out, it's absolutely not because the process was at fault. Uh, you could definitely say that about the Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia hirings. The The process was, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it was it was awful. Um, and and Sheila Ford Hamp took all of the learnings from, from those mistakes and seemingly, you know, plugged all of those gaps and then some. So now ultimately, you know, I was a big Ed Dodds fan. Um, I was also a big Robert Sala fan. I had <clears throat> had hoped that those would uh, be the direction we would go in. But, you know, Brad Holmes, the more I learn about him as a candidate, um, I think the better fit he seems to be. There, There's a lot of information about Ed Dodds being very intense, um, you know, a very strong-willed leader, which is good. But... Um, that's also kind of what the Lions just came from. And that intensity um, really, you know, kind of infected the locker room and the organization. So I think, you know, Brad Holmes is a lot more even keel of a personality and seems to foster a lot more of that collaborative environment that the Lions are looking for. So I think uh, that that might have been a, a main reason for Ed Dodds not you know, moving forward, if it was the the Lions' decision, perhaps you know he interviewed and just didn't uh, like the direction things were going in himself. But um, you know, Brad Holmes seems to be the right type of leader for this point in time for the Lions. I love what he did with his staff. You know, bringing over Ray Agnew, it was very obvious that you know he would be bringing somebody from you know from the Rams at some point uh, to grab. You know, his counterpart on the pro uh, personnel side was a great move. So there's familiarity uh, that, you know, that was kind of a gap in his experience. And then landing John Dorsey uh, was just a, a fantastic get for the organization. You get a seasoned front office member, uh, somebody that has been responsible for some of, you know, the best quarterback moves in the draft over the last uh, 20 years or so. The the interesting thing to me is 
John Dorsey is known as a, um, a controversial and, um, you know, I mean, controversial maybe isn't the right the right word, but he's very confrontational, uh, and most of his failings as he, you know, as a general manager came from his ability to collaborate, collaborate and rub people the wrong way. And, um, so his introduction into, you know, this, this organization that is taking this very, uh, kumbaya tact is very interesting, but from a pure talent evaluation standpoint, they would be hard pressed to do better, um, to find an experienced, you know, member of that front office to help lead Brad Holmes through, you know, kind of the, the learning experience. Uh, the Lions also did a fantastic job restructuring the front office, um, taking some of the responsibility off Brad Holmes' plate, especially the administrative stuff, giving that to Mike Disner, who's um, seemingly a rising star in the organization and has a good reputation throughout the league. So um, got to say, you know, the front office moves seem to be, you know, again, on paper, uh, about as good as we could have hoped for. On the coaching staff side, um, I... I have some reservations about Dan Campbell just on the surface, but I love what he brings from an intensity and, um, you know, collaboration standpoint. Again, you know, that another buzzword that we're going to hear over and over and I have been using over and over, but he truly has built this coaching staff without ego. You know, he has gotten seasoned members in Anthony Lynn, um, bringing in Dom Capers as a, you know, a veteran voice as a defensive advisor to help Aaron Glenn, uh, you know, a defensive coordinator. Those are fantastic moves. You know, he, he got a couple of young rising stars on the coaching staff, you know, Deuce Staley, uh, Anthony Pleasant. There's some veteran, you know, veteran leaders in there. Anthony Lynn, somebody who has um, a, a vast amount of experience from different perspectives on offense. You know, he's had a league leading offense running the ball and a league leading offense passing the ball and uh, mentoring a rookie quarterback last year to great success you know Justin Herbert and ended up as the offensive rookie of the year so uh, I you know I've got to say this looks like a very strong front office and coaching staff um you know it's tough to make any judgments until you know players are on the field and and games are being won and lost but I like that Dan Campbell is kind of that CEO type coach. That's what I was kind of hoping for. Whether he's the right man or not, we'll see. But um, I really, I really think that they're headed in the right direction, and that Lions fans should be very happy with how this process played out. Uh, you know, there were a lot of podcasts over the second half of last season that basically talked about what a job the Lions had ahead of them in filling these roles and and rebuilding this organization from the top down. And, you know, between the hiring of Chris Spielman and the search committee that was used and the the breadth of candidates that they interviewed, you really couldn't have asked for a better process. So again, if this all fails, it's it's definitely not because the process was flawed. Um you know, they just might not have gotten all the right people, but on paper, boy, this, this sure looks impressive. All right. So then, you know, with all the positivity around the front office and coaching staff moves, uh, that, that brings us to kind of an odd situation where, as it looks like the lions are finally getting this front office and coaching staff, um, you know, 
headed in the right direction. You get Matthew Stafford requesting a, a trade. And, you know, for a player that has gone through everything that he did, it's definitely understandable. But I just find the timing to be a little bit odd, considering that, you know, considering that he has gone through so much. And then just as it looks like they might have been finally learning from those mistakes, uh, he wants to get the opportunity to go elsewhere. So I don't blame him. Uh, I think that both he as a player and as a person handled it about as well as he could. Uh, in in my first episode, I had talked about the addition of Chris Spielman kind of being the end of franchise legends leaving on poor terms. And boy, it's hard to you know find a a, a bigger opposite than you know the Darius Slay and the Calvin Johnson departures than than the Matthew Stafford departure. So now as we look at at what that move means, um, before I jump into that, there's one thing, you know, I've been seeing that a lot of people have been talking about how big a rebuild this was and that they had to get rid of Stafford because there was no way that this was going anywhere in the short term. And look, I, I don't I don't buy any of that. Um, you know, and I seem to be in the the minority by far on that. But you know, you look at some of these teams that that have turned things around lately. Uh, look at the Dolphins; they were five and eleven, no franchise quarterback, traded every valuable piece uh, on that team for for draft picks, and then you know they went five and eleven in twenty nineteen, and then ten and six the following year. You know, so they took it down to the studs. And, you know, turned turned it around in a year, basically. And they still may not have that franchise quarterback. Uh, rebuilds in the NFL aren't three to four year projects unless you're in a situation like, you know, like the Atlanta Falcons, potentially, where you have just a very prohibitive cap situation where you have to wait for contracts to play out before you can actually start the building process. And with that, um, you know, the Jared Goff contract could potentially play into uh, that a little bit, but I'll, I'll jump into that in the next um, segment. To circle back to Matthew Stafford, uh, you know, look, I, I've I've loved Matthew Stafford for a long time. Uh, I was not a big fan of him as the first overall pick in the draft. I did not want Aaron Curry, but I didn't want a quarterback that um, that I felt wasn't the caliber of player that you know, elevated everybody else around him. And it just goes to show that, you know, amateur scouts really have a hard time with the quarterback position sometimes because so much of, of what makes a great quarterback is, is mental and intangibles. And we just don't have access to that type of information because Matthew Stafford, um, you know, he'll go down as one of the most underappreciated players in modern NFL history. I think when it's all said and done, even if things turn around for him in, in Los Angeles, you know, the first 12 years of his career, he was basically slept on the whole time. So it's good to see him getting that, that opportunity. Um, but, you know, a few years into Stafford's career, I didn't feel like he embraced wanting to get better. I, f I felt that he believed in his own hype and that, you know, he just went out there and tried to win on talent. And when he was surrounded by better coaching, he really improved. And I think that's a very good parallel to draw with this team as a whole. You know, 
people are talking about this being a, a very long rebuild. I'd, I still don't see it, even with the situation that they're in. Um, you know, it are they going to be, you know, NFC championship contenders next year or the year after? Probably not. But the road back to respectability isn't as long as, as it seems, I think. Uh, you know, it's really about having talented players and a scheme that accentuates their their best abilities and i think that the lions have put that in place and that definitely wasn't in place the last three years so you know this move has slowed down the turnaround for the lions 2021 is is, you should not have any expectations for this season but i still don't think that this is going to be that big of a turnaround um especially considering the the haul that that the lions got back uh you know and and before we kind of analyze the trade and and how that how those pieces you know plug in going forward i'm gonna say that the lions made the right decision acting fast uh, a lot of people felt that you know the lions had plenty of time up until the you know new league year to make a move but they were absolutely right to you know to operate as quickly as possible once you know once the decision was made to part the clock was not in their favor in this situation, especially this tumultuous offseason with so many quarterbacks uh, at play, being the first domino to fall is advantageous because, as we saw, Matthew Stafford being traded to the Rams, that was the first domino, and the second domino was Jared Goff coming back. And so that took another quarterback off the market. But had they traded, you know, traded him elsewhere, Jared Goff still would have been available. And once you know, the market was set for Stafford, then everything else falls into place. So if you're the first domino, you control the market as opposed to reacting to other moves. You know, what if what if Jared Goff was was the first quarterback traded and they got a, a third round pick for him or something? Well, then there you go. A 26-year-old quarterback that has had some success in the playoffs, played in the Super Bowl, just went for a third round pick. That sets the parameters for Stafford's move. So by acting first, they set the market and they controlled the dominoes and getting Goff in return could potentially play into the Lions' favor uh, once we get into the draft because there's no quarterback needy team outside of the Rams that that had, you know, had a domino fall into their lap there. It would, you know... Washington still needs a quarterback. San Francisco potentially still needs to upgrade. Indianapolis still needs a quarterback. We know Carolina is is out there. None of those teams have their quarterbacks resolved as a result of this move. So this puts the Lions in a really favorable position uh, in the short term, as well as you know the long term. It, it's really difficult to imagine the Lions getting a better deal. Yes, the golf contract is a bit of an albatross this year and you know, if they want to move on from him next year, it's, um, you know, it's a healthy, you know, amount of dead money they're going to have to eat. But this trade was fantastic uh, because it gives the Lions ultimately what I believe they crave, and that's flexibility. And I'll kind of dive into that into the next segment here. So the trade itself, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody knows what the the parameters were, but it's uh, first round pick in 2022, first round pick in 2023, third round pick this year, and then Jared Goff coming in return. Now, 
immediately after the trade went down, there was word of better deals and more immediate return, uh, you know, in, in the Carolina deal and the Washington deal. And people were pretty upset about that, um, especially in, in combination with Jared Goff's contract. But this, this trade gives the Lions an immense amount of flexibility. Jared Goff coming back, he is a reasonable starting quarterback. I'm I'm not the biggest Jared Goff fan. I can uh, I'll dive into that in in a few minutes, but they don't need to go out and scramble. They don't need to press to find a quarterback. And there is still a potential for Jared Goff to be that franchise quarterback. So they're able to buy some time. They were able to get some really strong assets in return for taking on that contract. Yes, there could be a little bit more short-term short-term disruption to this roster because of that cap hit. But you know, like I said before, the the Lions have now shifted their focus into 2022 as being you know the year to make a move. I think you know again, I don't think they're punting on this season, planning to go three and thirteen or anything, but. They don't have to do anything at the quarterback position in the short term. You know, in theory, they could roll with what they have right now, which is Jared Goff, Chase Daniel, and David Blau into the regular season. And they're not terrible um, there. You know, that's some decent depth. Uh, Chase Daniel's a good guy in the locker room to help, you know, get Jared Goff's mind straight. And Blau can keep developing into, you know, the, the backup. Do I think they should sit on what they have right now? Probably not. Chase Daniel is uh, definitely overpaid and offers nothing on the field, uh, as we saw in that Buccaneers game. So, you know, I do think that there will be some modifications to that that position group, but they don't have to do anything. It is not this desperate need anymore. Then when you have these future first round picks, you know, with five first round picks over the next three years, there is no team in the league that has uh more control over quarterbacks in the next three drafts uh you know the lions probably could make a play for trevor lawrence if they were willing to part with like four of those first round picks i don't think that's smart but you know we could probably set that aside outside of the first pick this year um any other quarterback on the market or in the draft this year and then potentially coming out next year or the year after, the Lions are in play for because they have more tradable assets than any other team, uh, especially if you think that they're not going to be very good this year. Uh, they could be looking at a pretty high pick. The other interesting thing, and you know, it could go both ways, but with these being future picks of the Rams, everybody is assuming that they will be, you know, in the 20s or possibly even, you know, in the, you know, 30, 31, 32 range. And that is definitely a possibility. You know, if you believe in Matthew Stafford, um, you know, that that Rams team is a, a very strong team. He makes them much better. But the Rams, they're built around superstars. They have, you know, Stafford, they have Jalen Ramsey, they have Aaron Donald. And they they have really constructed that roster around having high-priced pieces, whether, you know, that salary cap or, you know, assets that they traded to acquire those pieces, anything happens to those players, you know, be it injury, bad year, um, whatever, that team isn't well positioned to have a lot of depth. They don't have a lot of 
you know, draft picks or assets. They're up against the cap. They have a ton of dead money. You know, they're still paying for Brandon Cooks, Todd Gurley, Jared Goff. Then they they inherit Stafford's contract. That's a team that really what they are on paper right now is what they're probably going to be um, going into the season. They don't have, you know, they have some draft pick, you know, they have a second round pick this year and then, you know, their next pick is in like the fourth round and, you know, Oh, they'll get a compensatory third rounder um, for Brad Holmes, but they don't have a ton of, you know, ton of money to go spend on free agents. So you're looking at a couple you know, a, a second round pick, a third round, a late third round pick. And then, you know, their fourth round pick, those are, those are their three best opportunities to dramatically improve that roster this year. So, you know, it's not a foregone conclusion that those aren't going to be really valuable picks. Now, when you look at, you know, the, the options that the lions have, uh, as a result of the trade, things look pretty rosy. Uh, now, but if we look, you know, specifically at Jared Goff, um, he's an interesting, interesting player to me. Uh, I, I remember watching him on hard knocks his rookie year and my biggest concern right off the bat was, man, I don't see this guy as being a, a leader of, of a roster. Uh, there was a scene where some veteran players were explaining to him that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. And then they were laughing at him like, you know, they, they were looking at him like he was their idiot, you know, younger brother. It's really tough to be the leader of a team when, you know, all your teammates think you're an idiot. You know, now I don't want to take one little, you know, anecdotal, you know, piece of evidence from a documentary filmed several years ago and projected out on this guy's whole career. But there's some other things that that draw into question how smart he is and, and what is his football knowledge and how hard does he study the playbook uh, it's pretty well known that Sean McVay would speak into the quarterback headset until he was cut off at the 15 second mark. You know, he'd be reading the defense and telling Goff where to look and what to do. Now, why was he doing that? Did he feel that he had to handhold Goff because he wasn't capable of reading the defense by himself or knowing where to go by himself? Or was he doing that because he's a control freak? If it's the former, that's a big problem. Um, you know, if, if you need your offensive play caller in your ear all the way up until the comms cut out, that that's a big problem, you know, and, and his drop off over the last two years, that is probably what you're getting, you know, that his first couple years under McVeigh, when, you know, they had this new system that people were still adjusting to and adapting to, and, and they were able to run all this play action and, and hit these, you know, deep shots and they had a strong running game, you know, that was all great. But then if people figured it out and, and then clamped down on him because he just wasn't able to adapt to what the defense was doing, or he, he wasn't mentally capable of, of taking more on his plate, that's a big problem. You know, he's, he's not going to be any better. He's not going to be anything more than a bridge quarterback. He's not going to potentially bring them back a ton of assets um, when they, when they do decide to move on from him, if however, he is capable, um, you know, more so than McVeigh was giving him credit for, then that's a different story. You know, 
he he is an accurate passer. He doesn't have a you know he doesn't have a big arm. He's not um, you know he's not very mobile. He's not going to scare anybody with his legs. But if he can be more decisive and less hesitant, and and he knows where to go with the football and what he's doing, he can deliver a good football. You know, he can deliver a catchable ball. We've seen that. So there's a there's a lot of um, learning about Jared Goff that that I feel like you know Lions fans need to go through uh, as we go through the off season and into training camp. You know what? Who is the real Jared Goff, and why was he so limited by Sean McVay? Again, was that McVay or was that Goff's limitations? So, uh, the last the last element I want to talk about with the whole the whole trade is, you know, going back to some of the other competitive offers. You know, it was rumored that the the Panthers offered the eighth overall pick, uh, as well as some you know a pick or two later on in in the draft. You know, Washington. They were offering a first, you know, their 19th overall pick and then a third round pick, possibly, a, you know, a couple sweetener picks as well. And, you know, there are some people saying, yeah, you know, picks this year are more valuable than any other year. Uh, you know, there's a reason why on most of the trade charts, if you trade for a future pick, it's a round lower. Or if you trade a future pick, it's a round lower than the pick that, um, you know, that's coming back to you. So a first rounder next year is the equivalent of a second rounder this year. And this year I feel is the exception to that rule. Uh, you know, as, as most people know, the, the count, the combine in its normal structure will not exist this year. There are severe limitations on the ability to meet in person with prospects and, you know, pro days are now the school's responsibilities and not all of the schools are going to be able to support pro days. So this is going to be a very challenging draft. And I think uh, when you look back at what Brad Holmes has said, he values a lot. He values intangibles and character and knowing that guys love the game and, you know, understanding what's between their ears just as much as, you know, the physical talent. And it is going to be harder than ever to do that stuff this year. Yes, they've been, you know, some of these players, they've been working up um, for a while, but again, contact on campus was limited. You know, it's not just talking to coaches um, that helps, you know, front offices and scouts build out the, you know, the profile on a player. It's talking to the equipment guys. It's talking to other people on campus, talking to their professors sometimes. Um, you know, it's it's those deep personal relationships with people that are adjacent to the team. That's where you you get a lot of your information, you know, sitting down and talking to a kid, he's not going to go, yeah, I'm, I treat people like crap or yeah, I don't really study very hard. They're, they're in job interviews when they're talking directly to, um, to scouts or, or, you know, front office members, you're, you're not getting the unfiltered look at them. So I don't think draft picks this year are as valuable as future draft picks. And, and, that's even factoring in that the Rams could go and win the Super Bowl next year and that pick turns into 32 next year. I still think that 32 next year is probably more valuable than 19 this year. Uh, maybe not eight, but definitely 19 this year. So with with this offseason, flexibility seems to be what what the front office crave. And I agree with that. You know, like I said before, five first round picks in the next three years, that's a ton of ammunition ammunition that gives the Lions basic control over, you know, the draft 
in those early rounds, especially when you're talking about quarterbacks and, and none of what happened precludes them from taking a quarterback in this draft. If they, if they feel strongly about one of them, I, you know, the new quarterback coach, Mark Brunel had worked with Zach Wilson. Uh, you know, John Dorsey has some connections to Zach Wilson. So, you know, if he doesn't happen to be the second pick in the draft, that's, you know, that's still a possibility. They have the ammunition to go up to three and get him if need be. So, uh, this trade really created a ton of flexibility in every aspect of team building with the exception of the salary cap for this year. And, you know, given what, what state the franchise is in right now, I think sacrificing some short-term salary cap flexibility for long-term uh, maneuverability makes a ton of sense, especially when you look at the Rams as an organization feel that other teams overvalue first rounds, which is why uh, they, they will be going two presidential terms, only making one first round pick. Now, I don't think Brad Holmes is as flippant with the value of first round picks, but they do have a point. You know, if if you take two late round picks, you know, in the twenties, would you give those up for a cal- you know player the caliber of Jalen Ramsey? It's hard to imagine that two picks in the twenties could equate to his value. So. If if other teams do overvalue first round picks, it is definitely smarter to get first round picks in the future because those are going to carry more valuable or more value than a second round pick this year or a third round pick this year or you know an eighth round or an eighth overall pick this year. Having two future first rounders that you can put in deals that might carry more value uh, to other franchises. So. I think the Lions have really positioned themselves well to just see how things play out this year and then be able to adapt to it. So now, where do the Lions go from here? You know, you have Jared Goff at quarterback. You've got the draft assets in place. Uh, most of the front office is in place, at least through the draft. Uh, for those that don't know, most scouts' uh, contracts run up through the draft. So if you're looking for movement on the scouting staff, uh, you know, Brad Holmes bringing in new scouts or people he's familiar with, that's not going to happen between now and the draft, most likely. So uh, what, what the Lions have in the front office is what they have in the front office for the most part uh, you know, for free agency in the draft this year. The coaching staff will round out um, probably in the next week or two. So where do the Lions go from here? The biggest questions I have right now are what is the future of Kenny Galladay and what is the future of Romeo Aquara? You know, Dan Campbell has said they they don't plan on throwing in the towel this year. Now, I want to quickly explain the concept of tanking to people because it comes up all the time. And, you know, especially over the latter half of you know, the 2020 season, Lions fans were rooting for losses and better draft position and so on and so forth. And I can tell you from a locker room perspective, tanking as a new uh, regime is terrible. These next few months and this first season are of the utmost importance in, in, uh, I want to avoid the word culture, but I think I've got to use it in establishing the culture going forward. You can't try to preach faith in this coaching staff and front office if you're going to go out there and not try to win games. 
you know, you need to establish practice habits and how hard to work and, you know, gutsy performances on the field and working together as a team. You can't build that foundation if you're not going all in to win. Players understand, players get the vibe of what a locker room is and, and the organization. Uh, it's why, you know, it's why people, you know, players have taken discounts to go play for you know, winning teams or teams that they can have fun on, or they have familiar faces in the locker room. Players are plugged in and in tune to so much more than I think people understand. And so if you're trying to build a program from the ground up and you're not prioritizing winning, your whole foundation is being built on, you know, in an instable or unstable surface. So the Lions aren't tanking this year. Now, they are limited in what they can do with their cap situation. Um, so they may not have the best season, but it's not because they're not going to try. It might be just that in order to create that future flexibility, they had to you know handcuff themselves in the short term. Now, going back to Kenny Galladay, he is a very intriguing piece because you know, at his best, he is definitely a top 10 receiver in the NFL. Uh, he, you know, presumably wants to be paid as such, but he's also 27 years old and his best skill is making contested catches. And Jared Goff is not nearly the same passer that Matthew Stafford is. Jared Goff doesn't just, um, improvise and you know fling the ball downfield jared goff doesn't try to squeeze the ball into tight windows kenny galladay doesn't generate a lot of separation uh at least he hasn't you know it, can we assume that that's always the case or could some of you know previous offensive systems had something to do with that i don't know but evidence at this point says that kenny galladay doesn't generate a ton of separation and jared goff is not a risk-taking quarterback so it seems fairly foolish to go spending money, top tier money on a receiver that may not be the best fit for this quarterback. However, if you look at Jared Goff as a bridge quarterback and, you know, are they going to get a player like Zach Wilson or Justin Fields in the draft who, you know, Wilson has some Stafford-esque traits where he, he will, you know, try to fit the ball in tight places and he can run around and improvise a little bit. Justin Fields has a big arm. Um, Trey Lance has a big arm. So that's an interesting balancing act. Do you, do you devote money to a player that may not help you in the short term, um, but could definitely hinder you in the short term with another big contract? So that's, that's a really big quandary for, for this front office to solve right now. Um, and with the golf contract, I don't know that it's going to be very easy to franchise Galladay and possibly trade him, but I think they have to do whatever they can to get value for him, not just um, hope for a compensatory pick next year. On the flip side, you have Romeo Aquara, who has been steadily improving, is still fairly young, um, for a, a defensive end, had a, a very strong season, and his younger brother is in town. So you've got a player that's a little younger at a more valuable position uh, that can impact the team. And 
you have the possibility of getting him a little cheaper because he probably is going to want to play with his brother. So, and he can have a little bit more of an immediate impact on this team than I think Kenny Galladay can. Uh, those are really interesting choices that the Lions are, are faced in the short term, as well as, you know, what players are going to be a part of this thing going forward and which players aren't. Uh, you know, the Lions need to free up some cap space. There's going to be some players that have some, you know, bigger contracts that need to be shed or renegotiated. You know, Taylor Decker just signed an extension. Do they look to um, renegotiate him? You know, you've got some some players like Justin Coleman, um, you know, Danny Shelton that that may not be the best fits um, that carry some some big cap numbers. But as we've learned in recent days, the Lions do plan on running a very similar scheme uh, in the front seven that they did under Matt Patricia, at least positionally. You know, they're going to be more of a 3-4, 3-3-5 type team. And they're going to switch from two gapping to one gapping, uh, which is a, a more aggressive approach. You know, so does a two gapper like Danny Shelton still fit? Um, you know, who knows? But there's there's a lot of players. There's a handful of players that, that carry some big cap hits. Uh, Jesse James, you know, Shelton, Coleman, um, you know, those types of players. What do the Lions do? You know, do they try to hang on to some of them and avoid creating bigger holes on the defensive side? Or do they, you know, bite the bullet, eat the cap hits, uh, and then look to fill those positions with, you know, really cheap, really unproven players? Uh, that that all has to come to a head in about the next month because the Lions will have to get under the cap uh, and and create some breathing room if they want to participate in free agency which opens in a, a little over a month. So, you know, it's it's been a, <laughs> a really frantic couple of weeks and things have been moving at a frenetic pace. Things will slow down a little bit here over the coming weeks, but then they're going to accelerate again as we move into free agency. So, again, I, as difficult as seeing Matthew Stafford move on from the organization is, um, he's he's been such a a key component to this team for over a decade. It's hard to imagine the coaching search, the front office search, and, you know, splitting from your franchise quarterback uh, ending in as good a place as it did. Um, you know, there's no acrimony between the two sides. You know, Dan Campbell had conversations with Matthew Stafford on how to build this team and what, you know, what are some of the problems and, and things, you know, he, he picked his brain for over an hour uh, you know, the front office is a good blend of young, innovative people and people that have a proven track record. The coaching staff, again, great blend. Um, you know, they didn't go out and just hire Dan Campbell's friends. They did hire some people that he's familiar with, but he retained Hank Fraley and brought in Deuce Staley. Those are people that he hadn't worked with that are very um, highly respected and widely desired. You know, the Lions were you know, landing coaches that had offers in multiple other places. So uh, it's strange to feel as optimistic about the future as, you know, I think I do right now, given <laughs> what, what we've just come off of and where we are. But uh, for the first time in a very long time, I think the Lions have positioned themselves well uh, as, as they look to, you know, finally turn this thing around. So 
Uh, thank you for, for joining me for this episode. Really appreciate it. Um, again, please tell your friends, um, you know, tweet it out, share. Uh, you can find me on WordPress as well, keenobservations.wordpress.com. Um, and appreciate you listening and hopefully you come back for episode three. Thank you. Thank you.